My name is Heather Gray and the program is Just Peace and I'm here with co-producer Ernest Dunkley. And I'm pleased to say that this evening we're going to be having a discussion with Greg Pallas, who we've talked with a lot in the past. It's always such a treat to hear from him and get his update on what's happening in, in the world, actually. Greg Pallas is known for his investigative reports for The Guardian and Democracy Now! and author of several New York Times bestsellers, including The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. Pallas has been investigating suppression of the Black vote in Georgia now for eight years. You can catch Pallas reports on www.gregpallas.com and on Twitter at Greg Pallas. So Greg Pallas, as I said, it's a treat to have you on our show. Again, thank you, thank you for joining us. Right. Well, I've uh, been obviously, most of you know me for covering vote suppression, especially in Georgia the last eight years. In fact, I was just back. I'm doing more work and I intend to be there for much of your election year next year. Excellent. But I've had some other things on my mind as well. And so that'll be this will make for an interesting discussion, a very different side of Greg Pallast and maybe a different perspective. Well, I know that one of the things the major thing we're going to be discussing this evening is the situation in Afghanistan. The, the question is, how do we start with this? There's just so much there. So what prompted your interest in Afghanistan? I know you've written about it. So tell us about it. Well, yes, if you go to gregpalace.com, you'll read one of the longest uh, stories I've written in a long time. But I think you might want to take a look at it called My Own Forever War, Afghanistan and 9-11 at gregpalace.com. Well, actually, let me start from the beginning. The, where it started was the the bombing of the church in Birmingham when four little girls were killed. That was, I believe, 63. And my father was listening on the radio to one of your affiliate Pacifica stations we just encountered. And he was furious, angry, beside himself about the death of these four little girls killed by the Ku Klux Klan. And he said, look, your job is going to be to fight those people. Now, I was 11 years old, but he threw this burden on me. That's what you're going to be doing. And I did. That is, I, I fought, you know, I've been uh, going after vote suppression, but always it's to him, it's going after those fascists, the fascists wearing the white hoods, the Ku Klux Klan, or the uh, guys, the fascists wearing swastikas, whether in Germany or in Rome, Georgia, and the fascists wearing black turbans in Afghanistan. Uh, my father believed you had to fight these fascists, whether it's the Ku Klux Klan or the Ku Klux Taliban. And he put this burden on me. And it's very easy to say some fights are our fight and some fights are someone else's fight and just too bad. And we can't, we can't save everyone on this planet, America. But the hell if I'm going to just turn my back and celebrate. And what happened is that, uh, and if you go to gregpalace.com, you'll see a picture of my former office. That is, I had an office in the World Trade Center, the 50th floor of Tower 2. When it went down, I happened to be at the beach that day. Normally, you would have been at the office. You would, would have been, been at, at the, the office, of course. Oh, my yeah, goodness. And so the, uh, and I assumed that everyone I worked with was dead. But uh, we had a plan to get out because, remember, the building was attacked by Al-Qaeda in 1993. And so we had a plan. We said, no matter what happens, everyone gets out and takes the elevator. We don't care what they say. Don't go back. No. Anyway, but we got uh, people I knew got out. 3,000 didn't. But... We now have more than 3,000 trapped in Afghanistan. And one of the things that set me off on this long screed 
And and there was something else too, by the way. In 1999, my friend Michael Griffin, great progressive writer, he wrote a book about the Taliban called Reaping the Whirlwind. And he said, I don't know why I'm writing about the Taliban. No one knows who they are. No one cares. But I just feel like someone has to document what is basically a, uh, a terrifying combination of Hitlerism and, and medieval philosophy, which is occupying Afghanistan. And, you know, like I say, um, I'm against fascists, whether they're Nazi Germany or Ku Klux Klan, Georgia. So I, at that time, called for our intervention in Afghanistan. And why? Why us? Why Americans? Because we created the mess, Heather. 40 years ago, they had a government that we didn't like. It was elected government. First, it was elected government. And it was socialist. And then some of the pro-Soviet elements overthrew that government. But it was still not a, you know, not a fanatic, wasn't the Taliban. So we saw an opportunity when the Soviet Union was there to overthrow the government of Afghanistan supported by the Soviets and bring down the Soviet Union. And it worked. We brought in, in fact, the United States, I was working with BBC television. We uncovered that the, um, uh, we uncovered that one of the things that the U.S. backed was an organization called WAMI, the uh, World Assembly of Muslim Youth. And they were funding and a related charity funding a, a, what they called a compassionate young man to go to Afghanistan to fight the Soviets. The compassionate young man was named Osama bin Laden. When was that? What year that, are we talking about? Uh, that was back in the 80s. Okay. So we uncovered this in November 2000 when I reported on BBC television. And we sent bin Laden to Afghanistan. We sent, we created, we created a Frankenstein factory of Islamo-fascists we being the United States. United States, you know, okay. with, with some of our good allies and Pakistan, which is very close to these guys, and Saudi Arabia, which put up most of the money to overthrow the, so- the Soviet allied government. So we succeeded in overthrowing their democracy and we walked away. And there were 50,000 Afghans in Kabul alone who were murdered by shelling and mayhem and warlord mayhem. Then the Taliban took over. And if you remember, George W. Bush cuddled up to them. He invited the Taliban to Sugarland, Texas, where they got to meet with Ken Lay and those characters. They were our buddies. We were giving them money to supposedly end the uh, opium growing. But, you know, they had kept the Soviets out and brought down the Soviet Union. But Michael Griffin, in his book, Reaping the Whirlwind, said, you know, the Taliban, they're giving support and alliance and getting money and supported by this guy, Bin Laden. And the United States is making a very big mistake. In a book, by the way, he published in August of 2001, before the attack, saying the United States is not paying attention to the deep threats of the Taliban's ally, Osama bin Laden, his threat to attack the United States itself. Now, if we had followed Griffin and my suggestion that we remove the dictatorship, which we had imposed. I want to remind people, we had imposed this Taliban dictatorship as Biden is doing now, as Biden is doing now. We're imposing. Why is it not imperialism when we impose the Taliban on people who don't want them? So we are responsible for that murderous government. And we talk about just women. And if you read my story, one of the things that really got me motivated to write this, it was kind of the final straw after everyone was, was celebrating. Literally, there was one left-wing group, which said, join us for a virtual celebration of the end of the forever war. Remember, forever war is that kind of, uh, that's the Donald Trump phrase. And believe it or not, Heather, Donald Trump isn't always right. 
We didn't have a forever war. Not one single U.S. soldier died in the year before he surrendered. And surrender is what it is to the Taliban. And turning over this nation without their approval. Now, keep in mind, the Taliban with their Wahhabist religion, this is something that's very alien to Afghanistan. It's a nation where the prevailing form of Islam is Sufi or Sufi influenced, which is dancing, you know, whirling dervishes, music, ecstat- uh, you know, ecstatics, love, even, you know, celebration of sexual love between men and women. This is the Sufi religion, and that is Afghanistan. No one, no one in Afghanistan would vote, not no one in Afghanistan, but the Taliban could not win an election. Am I supposed to be worried about elections in Georgia, but say the hell with it? We can have it, we can allow, we can invite in to run the government of, of another nation, a fascist dictatorship that those people would never vote for. Remember, we may not have liked the government of Afghanistan, but it was elected. We had Pashtun leaders who were elected by the majority Pashtuns. And now it's terror. And when the Taliban came in the first week, there was a uh, Fawad uh, Andarabi, who was a famous folk singer in uh, Afghanistan, invited the Taliban in because he was singing Sufi songs, et cetera, folk songs. So he invited the Taliban commanders in for dinner and a feast to show his honor for them saying, look, okay, I'll do what you want. You know, I obviously won't be singing anymore. And, but, you know, uh, whatever you say. And they ate his dinner and they had a wonderful feast. And then they took him out and shot him in the head wow. in front of his family. In women front, of, who in were, front of his family. Yeah. And then women, three groups of women who were um, in vaccinating children uh, were gunned down. Why uh, is that? We, why? Why? Well, they're women <laughs> out without no, I, men. No, I know they're women, but, but <laughs> it, it has something to do with the vaccination of children. Oh, yeah. They don't want the Western, Western vaccines. Are you kidding? So the, the Taliban have decided that this is, uh, but what I'm talking about is like, they don't say stop doing it. They gun you down. And then they, and that does a good job of stopping it. By the way, there's no, while there is music on the radio, there's no instruments allowed. The, the women's orchestra of Afghanistan, which is famous for both classical and Afghan music, was able to finally escape. Most of them had to burn their instruments. There are women in Afghanistan now who are all burning their diplomas lest they be found. And we may, you know... Uh, it was not a forever war. We didn't have, we, we only had 3,000 troops there, a heck of a lot less than we have in, in Korea. And, and I understand it. Look, we went through this end of a forever war business before. It was in 1877. For two decades, the United States had been engaged in a civil war. And when I say two decades, let's remember that, remember, U.S. troops are not in combat. They were just in Kabul helping protect, make sure that the capital was not taken over by these fascists and helping support the army with, air, with um, keeping their air force flying. So we had the same thing in the South. We had a civil war which started with bloody skirmishes from Kansas to Harper's Ferry and finally broke into open war in 1861. The battles ended in 1865, but we maintained, Grant was insistent that we maintain and form an army of occupation. Otherwise, black people would lose their rights. They'd been given the right to vote. They'd been given right to their property. Uh, they've been given all kinds of civil rights and the chance for greater education, et cetera. They, American, African-Americans were suddenly citizens. And Northern Americans did not understand why we had our troops there after 20 years. What, you know, what, what are our troops doing in this foreign territory? Remember, 150 years ago, to someone in Ohio, the idea that their kids would be in some swamp called Georgia 
to prevent so that black people can have rights. It's just seemed insane. Northern people didn't want it. They were done with the forever war. It's not our problem. Why, is, why are black people our problem? And so we went through the same thing. And in 1871, as part of a whole rigged election business, that's another story. But the important thing is that U.S. Congress voted to remove the, uh, the occupation troops from the South. And the result was, yeah, great. Our forever war ended, we thought. But rather, a hundred years of night descended on the South. And Black people were slaughtered, slaughtered. Not just lost their rights, lost their lives. I'm sure you know that story even better than I do from the history of Georgia and the history of the South. So we went through the same forever war. It's not our business. I'm sorry, Afghanistan is our business. We overthrew their government, their elected government, and now we've turned over their government to a force, a terrorizing Wahhabist force that no one, that very few people in Afghanistan would ever support and now are scared for their lives for good reason. They're women or Hazaras or Sufis or Shia, someone singing a song. I want to jump in here for a moment. Sure. Could you give us some background of the Taliban or what their religious faith is and so forth? I mean, something to better understand this fascist position that they have, as you're referring to. So could you get could you give a little bit of a background on that? Well, they were created out of the madrasas supported by Saudi Arabia, mostly in Pakistan. And and at first, by the way, the ta- the, the Taliban and Talib just means student. They were students who wore white and black turbans. And their view was uh, they were actually nonviolent and they helped end the civil war between the violent factions, for example, headed by a guy named Hekmatyar. And I want to emphasize them stopping Hekmatyar's massive murderous shelling of Kabul. So actually, they didn't start out so bad. They had a very strong, very old-fashioned Wahhabist idea of, of Islam, which is alien to Afghanistan and its Sufi musical religious tradition. You know, and basically it's a, it's a, it's almost a music and dance based religion, which suddenly you got these guys that will kill you or whip you for singing or dancing. And, but people were happy with uh, the peace, but then the killing started and they turned into a violent group. And especially going after those in the North of Afghanistan who are Uzbeks and Tajiks. They're not, most Afghans are Pashtun, an ethnic area that crosses into Pakistan. And those who were, did not follow the Wahhabist, Salafist, uh, as it's often called, um, aspects of a uh, form of uh, Islam, it's not a disagreement about type, how to worship. They kill people. Just this week, we had 87 Hazara killed, excuse me, mosque bombings. And again, and you know, we talk a lot about what's happened to women. This is important. I talk about in my story just a, a woman who um, was a newscaster in uh, the Kandahar area. And she escaped, and it's a good thing she did, because they came to her house to look for her to kill her. And they fired guns into her house. One other journalist, a, a male journalist, who was working for Reuters, or excuse me, he was working for um, uh, the German news agencies, they were hunting him down because he'd worked with a foreign news agency, a journalist. They couldn't find him, so they just shot a member of his family just to make a point. They just gunned him down. He wasn't there. Okay, well, then you're, you're good enough. Bang. This is the type of terror. And, you know, there, how many women now are going back to universities? Zero. There were 100,000 women in universities in, in Afghanistan a year ago. Now, effectively, that's shut down. Girls' schools, girls are allowed to go to school for the first few years of their lives enough to learn reading and writing and be able to be wives. But that's it. And they can't be in public without a male companion. And pretty soon they'll all be covered 
don't forget, it's not just Kabul. Once you get out into those foreign areas, and so it's a you have an alien form of medieval Islam imposed on a nation which would never choose to be. So I think that's kind of manner. I think that's kind of what I'm looking for. It is a mm-hmm. medieval philosophical or religious base, right? It comes. Yes. Well, in fact, if you go again, I, I hated to put some of these lurid pictures in my article, but I had no choice. Uh, there's a woman about to be. Uh, machine gunned. She's apparently for adultery, going to be machine gunned to death. And I have, I could have taken worse pictures. I actually have pictures of the bullets going through her. This is the Taliban. This is Taliban control. And like I say, for those of us who, look, I'm, (laughs) everyone would put me, and I suppose I put myself on the progressive end of politics. And I do. And I'm happy to see, very frankly, there was some real schadenfreude enjoying to see the American empire slip on a kind of diplomatic banana peel, to see imperialism have its comeuppance, to see the arrogance and the lies that we were told by Bush and, and Cheney and Obama and everyone, and everyone else. Look, I, I, I'm not a fan of U.S. wars of occupation. And that's why, for example, I, you know, anyone who compares this to Vietnam, I was in Vietnam, the people of Vietnam wanted Ho Chi Minh. They don't want the Taliban. We were on the wrong side in Vietnam. That's what happened there. But what's happened is since Vietnam, unfortunately, the left has begun to identify itself as just kind of blind pacifism. And I'm sorry. That's a basic disagreement I have. You have to fight fascists. They don't understand anything else. And you certainly don't hand other people to a fascist occupation. And that's what right? happened? And that's what happened. We handed it over. And I'm, and by the way, I'm furious that Biden would say like, oh, the Afghans wouldn't defend themselves. How dare you? You know, it's purely a racist statement. I want to tell you that. This guy wanted, by the way, to have a constitutional amendment to prevent black children from being bused to schools, better schools. Biden showed his visceral racism when he said Afghans wouldn't defend themselves. 66,000 Afghan soldiers died fighting the Taliban. 66,000. And that was before his announcement of surrender and not counting the Afghans who fought side by side with us after the United States was attacked, those Taliban didn't, the, the, excuse me, the, the, uh, the Uzbeks, especially in the Tajiks who were in the Northern Alliance didn't say, well, we don't care what happened in New York. We don't care if the World Trade Center went down. That's not our war. No, they said, okay, we'll join with you. And we'll get rid of these fascists who are attacking you and attacking us too. So I'm just very concerned about this type of racism. Well, oh, these people don't, you know, it's very easy to say that p- people of color are cowards. It's an old trope. Black people didn't defend it. I mean, I actually just heard Kanye West say, well, you know, black people were enslaved for 400 years. It sounded like they made a choice. No, they, that's not their choice. It was never their choice. The people of Afghanistan, this is not their choice. We turned them over. Let me ask you this question also, Greg. Is there, are there any other entities like this entirely in the Middle East, like the Taliban? Well, I they, mean, seem, they seem unique to me a bit. I don't know, but go ahead. They are, they are at the extreme. There's no question that they are the extreme end. Uh, but we do have, you know, we have supported a very sophisticated, wealthy uh, Wahhabi dictatorship called Saudi Arabia. Right. And, you know, we've played, you know, and, and that's one of the problems is that, in fact, this move into Afghanistan was funded by Saudi Arabia with, with this idea of expanding their kind, their fascistic view, their very closed medieval view of Islam. That was what they wanted in return 
for putting up the money and sending in guys like bin Laden to take on the Soviets. So, yeah, so I don't want to say that the Taliban are, are, unfortunately, the Taliban are not unique and they would not exist without the support of Saudi Arabia. Plus, while it's certainly not as bad, the Pakistan's military and the ISI, their intelligence service, has been supporting the Taliban forever, including the Taliban in killing Americans. We know it. The Pakistanis know it. Remember that they gave basically effective uh, uh, asylum to bin Laden, uh, the military. And uh, this is, uh, so it's not just not just the Taliban. And in fact, Ahmed Rashid wrote a brilliant book on uh, uh, the whole area, the stands in general, the whole uh, Central Asian area, which I've been to, by the way. I have come reported from there. And um, You reported from where? From uh, Central Asia. I, I didn't go to Afghanistan. I was in the ne- neighboring countries like Azerbaijan. I see. And where you get to see what happens when you have these fascist takeovers. So the so Saudi Arabia is also supporting these fascist, Islamofascist movements in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and, and Azerbaijan, you name it. They are trying to push the governments to the right or take over those governments. And so we have this terror descending on this nation. And this idea that they just won't defend themselves, you have to understand the the Northern, the old Northern Alliance, uh, Ahmed Massoud, his father led the Northern Alliance to successful victory over the Taliban in 2001. He begged the United States for the weapons to fight the Taliban. We're saying they won't defend themselves. He says he was begging for the weapons, Massoud, because he, and he reminded, he, he tried to remind Biden, he said, Franklin Roosevelt created the arsenal for democracy so that Britain could survive against Hitler. It wasn't America's war. But, but we supported the British. We are effectively a supporting ally. says, help us, just give us the weapons. And the other thing is, we forced the Afghan Air Force. And, and, and by the way, I also met with, uh, when I was in Kazakhstan, I met with the foreign minister of Afghanistan at the time, uh, Yahya Marufi. And he was on his way to have, a, um, to have a meeting with the Taliban to negotiate. The Afghan government wanted to negotiate. And they were told by the U.S. government you may not negotiate with the Taliban, they're terrorists. You know what happens? Trump ignores the Afghan government and has secret negotiations with the Taliban to turn over the nation to them without even allowing the Afghan government, the elected Afghan government into the room. And Biden, instead of saying, that's not American, that's disgusting, we can't do that. He said, well, he did the same thing. He kept talking to the Taliban, excluding the Afghan government, and then removed from the Afghan military, the one thing that kept the Taliban at bay, which is air cover. They didn't ask us to fly the missions. They didn't ask us to take the bullets. They didn't ask us to go to the front lines. They simply said, keep our planes flying because we have, they were using U.S. contractors to keep their planes flying. And by the way, we didn't give them a choice. We said, we'll give you the money, but you have to hire our guys to do it. So when we pulled out our guys, they had no air force, no air cover. And it was just like when the French abandoned the British troops and the British troops dropped their weapons and ran to Dunkirk. It wasn't because British troops are gutless and won't defend against the Nazis. They ran to Dunkirk because they were stabbed in the back by the French. And here we did the same thing to the Afghan military. And this idea that it was going to become Taliban, that Afghanistan was going to be taken over by the Taliban no matter what, that's ridiculous. They hadn't been able to do it for 20 years. They never got much out of, out of their uh, eastern provinces in the mountains. They didn't have a chance of taking Kabul, but then they were abandoned. 
Now, we saw this in, by the way, in Iraq. Remember, uh, Obama removed all the troops from Iraq. And he said, oh, they, you know, no, no problem. He just walked away from Iraq. And then ISIS stormed across Syria and Iraq and was at the gates of Baghdad. And we sent back a few troops. And suddenly the mighty, unbeatable ISIS disappeared. Well, now ISIS is back in Afghanistan, Mr. Biden. And so is Al-Qaeda, because he said we had one, one job, according to Biden, and it's done so we can get out. And that was to eliminate Al-Qaeda. Well, Mr. Biden, you have a guy named Salahuddin Haqqani, who is Al-Qaeda, in the cabinet. In fact, he's the Minister of Interior. If you don't, in the in, in what, that in nation. What, where? In Afghanistan? In Afghanistan. So the Minister of Interior, which should be read as Minister of Imprisonment and Torture, because that's what the Interior Minister is there, Minister of Torture, he's Al-Qaeda. So I'm sorry, we literally didn't just put the Taliban in, we put in Al-Qaeda. So, so after 20 years... When the Taliban could not possibly win. Yeah, it was, a, it was a difficult, unremitting, unstopping war for them. The Americans for five years were not in combat roles. And it's a lie to say that it's a forever war. A war, just like in the South, we had occupation troops, but they weren't in a war. Did some troops get killed in the South? American troops after the Civil War? You betcha. Take, take a look. Have some troops been killed in Korea since the, the, the ceasefire in that war? 50 years ago. Yeah, but we have 35,000 troops there. But no one says that war continues. But we are there for a reason. And and we have to remember, and the left is forgetting its anti-fascist roots. When we had the Lincoln Brigade in 1937, Americans went to Spain to fight Hitler and Franco's fascists. And they were reviled in America, including after World War II, even though they fought Hitler, they were called premature anti-fascists. Well, count me in. I'm a premature anti-fascist myself. You know, you. I'm sorry, you got to fight the Klan, whether they're wearing white sheets or black turbans. Absolutely. You're listening to the Just Peace program on WRFG 89.3 FM. This is so incredibly complex, all of this. It's just, yes. it's just hard to grasp it all. But why did Trump choose to negotiate with the Taliban? Well, because he didn't, want, he didn't want the Afghans in there saying, you can't just run away and turn over this nation to the Taliban, which is what, you know, as far as uh, Trump was concerned, he, you know, that Trump actually wanted to invite the Taliban, assuming he was reelected. He actually wanted to invite the Taliban to the September 11th, 20 year anniversary memorial. And it's stunning. And you have to understand. So what happened was he was blocked. General Milley, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, went to Trump and said, you can't do this. All our allies will be slaughtered. We'll be turning over this nation to our enemies. This America can't surrender. After we told these people to fight the Taliban, 66,000 Afghan military lost their lives fighting the Taliban. Now he's going to say, oh, well, too bad. We're turning over your nation to these guys. But I don't understand. Why didn't he have a relationship with the Afghan government, though? The U.S. government, and I know, like I say, I spoke to their Marufi, and I know uh, Hamid Karzai. These are actually quite good people. Just so you know, they, they, the president, the last elected president, Ghani, was, I will not say, a, uh, a, a wonderful president, but he was elected, and elected counts. And But no, we didn't, obviously, Trump didn't want anyone getting in the way of saying, we I've ended the forever war. Biden never said, I'm just going to follow Trump's plan. When he ran for office, he didn't say, well, yeah, Trump's right. In fact, the Democrats were screaming bloody murder when 
when Trump went off to talk with the Taliban and play games. You should have heard Rachel Maddow and the rest. Oh, how could he do that? That's terrible. He's turning over the nation, uh, this poor nation to, uh, you know, these women killers. But then Biden came in and said, well, I'm going to go along with the Trump plan. Suddenly, these same Democrats who were excoriating Trump, suddenly Biden's a wonderful guy. Peace in our times. He's the new Neville Chamberlain. You know, he satisfied Hitler. They, we won't hear from them again. And by the way, we will hear from them again, just as we did in Iraq. By, we're, we're going back into Afghanistan, but now it's going to be very costly to do so. We will be back. Write it down. Greg Palace said so. <laughs> just as we went back into Iraq, just as we went back into Afghanistan after we abandoned them and we were warned, this is going to bite us. This is going to bite back in America. And it did when my office building was blown down. We'll be back. So let me let me ask Ernest, do you have anything, any question here? Actually, you've answered my question. You, you, know, you really answered my question, Jim. Yeah. But I, I want to say this, and I want to say that I'm very, very sympathetic to my fellow progressives who wanted to get the hell out of Afghanistan, who wanted to end this idea that we solve everything with bombers and troops in the 101st Airborne. We have to distinguish between a fight against a liberation struggle in Vietnam, the people of Vietnam, North and South overwhelmingly supported Ho Chi Minh and independence. In Iraq, we were lied into a war with this con of weapons of mass destruction, which didn't exist. There was no lying us into Afghanistan. They were allied with, supported Al-Qaeda, which attacked us and killed Americans by the thousands and would have continued and would have continued. There was a reason we weren't, there's, it's ridiculous. I keep hearing, well, we were lied into Iraq and Afghanistan. No, no, let's not play that game. That's actually the game that George Bush played. Remember, he kept conflating Afghanistan with, with Iraq. Talked about Al-Qaeda and Iraq. Al-Qaeda, Iraq, Afghanistan, Iraq, as if they were the same thing and they weren't. Now I see some of my fellow people, friends on the left, com, you know, combining them saying, oh, we were lied into Afghanistan. We were? No, we weren't. We did the right thing, maybe for the wrong reason, but we did the right thing in removing a fascist state that we had created. Right now, it's the darkness is falling on Afghanistan, and we are responsible. So I'm always repeating Dr. King's statement, where do we go from here? You've suggested a lot of things that are likely to happen, Greg, but what do we do? I mean, well, I, we, guess, we, I guess my other question is, given what's happened in, in Afghanistan. How does this coordinate with other countries in the Middle East? Are there going to be some collaborations, do you think? Well, I mean, obviously, the, the Taliban are survived with the grace of the Pakistan government, becoming more and more fascist. Um, and Imran Khan, the, the current prime minister, who's a cricket player, not a politician, who is way over his head and is really just a, the glove puppet for the Pakistani military. And they look at the Taliban as their cat's paw to control Afghanistan. Afghanistan's always been the center of the, of the great game, as it's called. You know, who controls that Central Asian strategic area? But there is always that problem. It is blowback. You invite in bin Laden to kick over the Soviets, and it comes back and bites you. It's going to bite Pakistan, believe me. And it also strengthens the effective military dictatorship in Pakistan. And that won't help also as the, you're going to now see tensions rise enormously with India. And what's so happening with India? What, what yeah, about in other India? Because India is always, you know, is always in, in this confrontational position. They were hoping to, it looked like they might actually be beginning a kind of a 
of a uneasy peace between Pakistan and India. But it's becoming more and more strained, especially with the uh, with Pakistan's effective takeover through the Taliban of Afghanistan. Uh, you know, and it's it's very dangerous. Also, as as Ahmed Rashid, the the great expert on Central Asia, has said, you give a base to Afghanistan, and it becomes a base for ISIS K. Well, by the way, just because ISIS and the Taliban don't like each other, believe it or not, uh, even no matter how medieval and right-wing the Taliban are, uh, ISIS believe they're not right-wing <laughs> and crazy enough. So, uh, but they're now in there. And that's one of the things where our military was helping to prevent was the rise of ISIS. Taliban can't handle ISIS. So, and that will spread throughout the stands. I'm very worried. Few Americans don't anything about Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan. When you go to these places, they're always on the edge of falling back 500 years. And this is very, very, you know, I, I'm sorry. I can't just say those people don't count to me because they do count to me. There's that always that question, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. And, and in Afghanistan, you're going to have to be your sister's keeper because there's a lot of women by the millions terrified. And when I hear the left say, oh, let's just let in, everyone who wants to leave Afghanistan can come here. Well, everyone wants to leave Afghanistan <laughs> and they're not getting out. That ain't happening. So, and emptying out Afghanistan uh, into Michigan is not the solution. Let's stop turning over other people's nations to fascist regimes. Well, let me ask you this too. Mm -hmm. What do you think Biden expected to happen when he made this decision? Uh, That's a good question. Because Ryan Crocker, who was the ambassador under Obama, so he was under Obama. And he actually said Biden is not fit to be commander in chief. He didn't he, he was warned and warned and warned that we'd have a complete collapse in Afghanistan without American air support and those troops there. Again, our troops didn't get killed, but they terrorized, they're terrified the Taliban. And that's all they need to do is just be there and be scary. And he was warned, you can't do this. So Ryan Crocker said, look, either Biden refused to listen to the experts and the generals in the State Department, you know, and when Trump did that, we all went crazy. Oh, he's ignoring the generals. Well, Biden bitch slapped the generals, even his own secretary of defense, Austin, let the New York Times know that he was totally against the, the withdrawal of these last troops. And, or so he didn't know what was he clearly because he ignored all the advice. How could he say he didn't know what would happen, this horrible collapse and the quick takeover of the nation by these fascists when he was told that by everyone? Ryan Crocker told him. His the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff told him, his own Secretary of Defense told him. And, you know, I mean, I want to know when they hold congressional hearings, I want to know what people like Blinken, our supposed Secretary of State, who says his number one concern is human rights. Really? Give me a break. All right. Just asking these questions about the impact of all of this. Um, mm-hmm. You've mentioned the Soviet Union briefly here. So where are the Soviets in this situation now? Well, you know, the Soviets are gone. We got... We got, of course, Putin. So now we have a fascist. Uh, we did a good job. We, we used Afghanistan to bring down the Soviet Union. And so now we have a, a fascist. And now we have a fascist, belligerent Russia. Uh, that was a good deal. <laughs> so and obviously Putin is, uh, is uh, enjoy, having, uh, enjoying himself uh, seeing America get uh, kicked in the teeth. And I don't care about whether America gets t- kicked in the teeth when it deserves it. But what we're doing is, again, we're uh, a guy like Putin looks at this and says, and the Chinese, of course, uh, which is another fascist state, going after 
which now sees a green light to go after the Uyghur Muslims in China. You know, if you can't protect the people of Afghanistan where you have troops, how, you know, they, they think, you know, in fact, the, the official uh, Communist Party daily said Biden's surrender in Afghanistan shows that the, the U.S. is a paper tiger. And so all are screaming and crying and hand-wringing about the Muslims of China and their mistreatment. They're laughing it off. They're laughing it off. And they're already cutting deals with the Taliban. They, uh, she already uh, had meetings with the uh, Taliban leadership. Well, my question again is, what will the relationship be, say, with Putin and the Taliban government? Oh, I think that they're going to get along famously, eventually. The, uh, obviously, the, the uh, Russians are a bit shy about getting too deeply involved in Afghanistan, but they're not going to leave it to uh, Pakistan or to China to pick up all the goodies. Let's not forget that Afghanistan has a huge untapped supply of uranium. It has something that China has been monopolizing, craving for decades, which is rare earth minerals and coal, lots of coal. Remember, China's a major importer of coal. So Afghanistan is coal, uranium, and rare earths. And so they're more than happy to support a Taliban government that will let them get their hands on these resources. Wow. So was the U.S. benefiting from these resources as well? No, we kept them in the ground because we didn't need the uranium. Remember, we had ended our nuclear industry. Right. And so we were more than happy just to let it sit in the ground. And the the rare earths, I assumed that if there was peace, we were going to get our hands on it some way. And the last thing we need in this uh, world is to be digging up more coal. But without question, China is going to move in for the coal because they are, again, they're massive coal importers and they're trying to avoid having to rely on Australia. So there's... There is a, that geopolitics is going on, too. So the Taliban are going to have a lot of support from Pakistan and China. And possibly Russia might come in, you know, thinking it can't be left out of the, the division of spoils. But this is dangerous because as they arm, they will spread their philosophy to the rest of the of uh, Central Asia. So where is the U.S. going to be under these circumstances then in the future, do you think? Well, we're in trouble because no one's going to no one's going to believe that they, that we will defend them. I see. I think it's dangerous for the Middle East. I think that you're going to see, you know, frankly, Israel's going to say we can't count on the U.S. So we're going to have to do whatever we need. to do. I think it's just going to add tensions everywhere. Taiwan panicked, as you see. And the Chinese, the minute we surrendered in in Afghanistan, the Chinese redoubled their claims on Taiwan, on the South China Sea, threatening our ally, Vietnam. Remember, Vietnam is now our closest ally in the region, threatening Vietnam, they're threatening the Philippines, and they're trying to put the economic squeeze on Australia. Who is? Uh, Who's, who is? The, uh, Chinese, the Chinese. The Chinese, the Chinese now, right. The Chinese, and so yeah. I'm very concerned that we're emboldening fascist states around the planet. I see. And, uh, you know, it's very concerning. And it's very concerning, that, and even more concerning, well, I don't know if it's more concerning, the fact that Biden would adopt Trump's military and political and foreign policy? Really? Let me ask you this, though, Greg. I mean, the thing mm-hmm. is, Trump made this deal with the Taliban, right? So did Biden think that he needed to follow through on this previous agreement well, with the former you know, president? Biden wants it both ways. On one hand, he wants to say, oh, well, Trump had already signed a deal. He ignores all of Trump's other deals. Is he pulling out of out of South Korea or out of NATO? No, that was another Trump idea. And uh, so 
one, you can't blame it on Trump. Number two, Biden wants to take credit. It's my idea. Time to go, period. And, he want, and worse, he wanted to do it by September 11th for the 20th anniversary so he could do a PR stunt, say, I ended the war before 20 years. I, I don't think he's all there. <laughs> I might agree with you. I don't think he's all there because that move on the chessboard was so ridiculous. Yes, because even if you believe, by the way, and you bring up something which is important, which is scary, because even if you agree that it was time to get out of Afghanistan, whatever, for whatever reasons you have or your lights, and that's your view, I don't think any sane person would have said it should have been done the way it was done. No. We lost their 100 in that one bombing, 170 Afghans and 13 Americans died. 13 Americans died. That's more than... You have to understand, more U.S. soldiers died during this surrender than died in five years in Afghanistan. In five years, we haven't lost 13 people. Wow. And we lost one. And that's what people don't understand. They keep thinking, oh, we're in combat there. We, the combat had ended for Americans anyway. And yeah, so it does raise the question whether, whether uh, Biden is literally all there or he's just a cranky old guy who's doing a, a Trump. Like, I, you know, I don't care what my experts say. I'm going to do it my way. But, you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into it I, at obviously other programs. But, uh, you know, where is the United States Justice Department in defending African-American voters in Georgia and Asian-American voters in Georgia who are under attack? Yeah, that's a good point. And, and so you can't go along with the idea that we don't care about women in Afghanistan and then not expect us to have suddenly we shift around. And we care about people in Georgia doesn't work that way you have exactly. a guy biden who doesn't actually seem to care period sorry well i'm curious exactly. to know also how much money was being spent on, on in this afghanistan occupation well as we know we spent about four trillion dollars yeah. over the 20 years but people when they talk about the massive amount spent the amount we were spending in the last couple of years was de minimis we only had 2500 troops and about a thousand contractors and while we were spending money, most of that money was spent on services that were paid for U.S.-based services, in other words, the equipment for their planes, et cetera, which goes, comes back to the U.S. We didn't just give them money and it went out there. Like most USAID, it goes out and we somehow it comes back to us. We're giving you money to pay our contractors, which is one of the things, by the way, the Afghan government complained to me. The U.S. government was knowingly letting uh, big defense contractors bribe government officials to keep those contracts. So, yeah, so it wasn't very much. The annual amount spent in Afghanistan was fractional compared to what it was in the first 10 years when we were in active combat. That's a whole different thing. When we went first went in, we spent a fortune. And again, if we hadn't abandoned the Afghanis in 1998, we wouldn't have had the attack in 2001. You cannot you know, if, if you don't stand up to fascists, they're fascists. <laughs> they're going to get you. I'm, you know, you know I, I wish that I don't know how else to do it. It's an end. Yes, there is a forever war. It's a forever war between the oppressed and oppressors, between fascists and their victims, between democracy and liberty. And it doesn't matter whether it's in it's in Macon, Georgia or in Kabul or in uh, Azerbaijan. Yeah, it's kind of a forever war. And it's been here for thousands of years since the beginning of civilization, them and us. Okay, so our time is going quickly here. So 
I would like to ask, I guess, what will likely be a final question. <laughs> but okay, so given this tragic situation that we're in right now, what should be done now, Greg? Or what well, should we advocate? I would ask, yeah, I mean, what can we do now? First of all, we put ourselves in a, in a terrible position that we let the, these maniacs take over the capital and continue to get support from, from Pakistan and China now. But the first thing to do is ask the Afghanis themselves. The one, you know, again, one of the worst things that Trump did and then Biden picked it up is excluding the Afghans from the discussion of what should be done. So I would, the first thing I would do is if we can find him, because he's in the hills somewhere in the north near the Uzbek border, is uh, Ahmed Massoud. Ahmed Massoud was the head of, is the, uh, head of the, what was the Northern Alliance. The last oh, thank you. Of resistance. Thank you. Okay. We should be speaking with the Afghan women's groups who are here. We should be speaking with Hamid Karzai, who our government has always hated, but he's actually quite a respected man and, and the most uh, respected Pashtun leader. The Pashtuns are the number one um, ethnic uh, group in Afghanistan. So we need to, to speak with Karzai. He's stayed in Afghanistan. He's effectively under house arrest. But I think we can communicate with him simply because the Taliban would like us to provide, of all things, aid to them. The problem is, of course, the Taliban, we can't trust the Taliban to use any money we give them to feed their people. There's starvation right now. Today I was reading about a woman in Afghanistan who had to uh, sell her children to pay off debts. It's, wow. uh, it's a complete implosion of the economy. And so we do have some leverage with the Taliban. But I would start by actually doing something we haven't done all year in the last two years, is talk to the Afghanis themselves. Exactly. What can we do to help you? Exactly. How can that be done? Well, again, uh, we have to reach out to, uh, I would say, Ahmed Massoud, who is the, the clear leader of the non-Pashtun Afghans of the North. That's a minority, but that's an important group. Uh, we have to speak with Hamid Karzai and other Pashtun leaders and people like Aya Marufi. And Marufi is now, I believe, in Switzerland. So there are people we can speak to who are recognized leaders of the Afghan people. So I'll just repeat that. So what we have to do is just ask the, do something we haven't done in, in years. Ask the Afghans, Afghanis, what they want to do. Right. And that's what can we do? And I think in the North, they want weapons. They want to fight this government. And in the other areas, they want concessions, which, by the way, Trump did have conditions on the Taliban, which they didn't meet. So the U.S. did not start withdrawing any troops because the Taliban weren't meeting the conditions. So it's not really true that Biden was following through with a uh, Trump plan because Trump had conditions. And that, and Milley and Austin noted that to uh, Austin being our secretary of defense, Milley being the uh, head of Joint Chiefs of Staff, told that to, tell, to uh, Trump. We had conditions. At least under Trump, there were conditions that we convinced Trump that they weren't meeting the condition. And Biden literally said to them, quote, no conditions, we're leaving. And that created mayhem, absolute mayhem. So where are we left? Go to gregpalace.com, read my story for another reason, because I want to keep this in the context of not just Afghanistan, but this idea that the left has to go back to its origins. We, we progressive go back to our origins, the people ready to fight fascists. We are ready to fight the Klan. We're ready to fight the Nazis. We're ready to fight the Confederacy. And we have to be ready to fight the uh, uh, fascists wherever they may be. 
just as just as the Lincoln Brigade took on Hitler in 1937. Don't wait until your office building is knocked down. Now is the time to start thinking about our role in the world as what we want to defend. The people who are being people who are being oppressed have a right to protection and get the get the, someone else's foot off their neck, especially if we put it there. Oh, well, thanks so much for that. And I want to thank you so much for your vast, detailed understanding and analysis of all of this situation. Thank you.